control over, each one of us has a responsibility on how we see and how we interpret what is happening. So let me give you an example. If someone does something that you really don't like, they did that, but you getting mad at them is not the default way to respond. You chose to respond that way. You didn't have to respond that way. You wanted to. They didn't make you do it. You chose it. People have a hard time taking responsibility when they mess up. It's just the way we seem to be wired, especially the higher you get up in the food chain in life. It's usually easier and less personally damaging to shift the blame to an underling. Pastor Daniel's teaching today says that Jesus came to smash that paradigm and expects his followers to do the same. In Jesus' willingness to shoulder his responsibility, he made it possible for all of us to be redeemed to God the Father. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 26 as he continues his message, Jesus Prays. Larry has been a mentor in my life. Like I talk to him once a month. He lives in San Diego. We get on the phone. And for my entire life in Jesus, Larry has been... Just one of those people. But it all began with Larry just showing up. Not because he even was invited. He just was there. And I love that Jesus is relational just the way we are. That in a time of great distress, Jesus wants Peter, James, and John there. And he's willing to tell them. So brothers and sisters, be the kind of people that people can talk to. Be the kind of people who, in the midst of all of the discussions, you stop and say, listen, how are you really doing? Is there anything that you need? Is there anything that's keeping you scared, worrying you? Is there anything that you should tell someone that nobody knows? And listen, if people ask you those questions, sometimes you tell people and they just don't do a good job handling that. Well, let me read you a scripture here. So listen, this kind of frames this. Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love that. Through love, what? serve one another. So brothers, make space. And especially in the holidays, I mean, in all the make merry and have fun and all this stuff, there's some people who you're going to see that because of the length of your relationship, the breadth of your relationship, that they might tell you things that they're not telling the other people. But be the kind of people that you love people enough to serve them. But look at what happens. In verse 39, it says, And when he had went a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? 
Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, really what we learn here is that Jesus knew the pain of vulnerability. Because we really see two areas where the pain of vulnerability is expressed. First, in the way that Jesus prays. And then second, when he found the three people he invited into his vulnerability, they weren't watching and waiting with him. What were they doing? They were sleeping. Just a bunch of dudes. They ate. They needed a nap. You know what I mean? So in both scenarios, Jesus praying to his father and then also Jesus with the people he's invited in. We see there's some pain here. Now notice first, he goes a little bit away and for he, he waits and he's like, stay here and watch with me. Just be here with me. I don't need to do anything, just be here. And he goes a little ways away and literally it says, he fell on his face and he prayed. So Jesus wasn't just like moving over. It's like he literally is like on his face before God. And he's praying, oh my father, let this cup pass me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Listen to Luke chapter 22, verses 43 and 44. He gives us even more details. This is Luke 22, 43 and 44. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven to strengthen him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So Jesus, his soul is so exceedingly sorrowful. He is in such agony and distress that literally there are blood vessels bursting where he's literally blood is pouring out of his head. So there is like a physical expression of the deep pressing that is going on in the soul of Jesus. And Jesus literally coming to his father. He's saying, my father, if there's any other way for you to be glorified in redeeming people back to you, then let's do that. If there is a plan B, can we go in that direction? But then he says, but not what I want, Lord, but what you want. Now, now listen, I want to speak to those of you here today who might be skeptics. I came to know Jesus about a year after my mom passed away. So I get being a skeptic. I've been there. And I'm still, even though I believe in Jesus, I'm still working on it. You know what I mean? Still working on trust in the Lord. But one of the things that I have found is that all the time people say, how can it only be through Jesus? I mean, don't all roads lead to the top of the mountain? And Jesus' prayer proves that there's only one way. He's saying, God, if there's any other way for people to make it to the top of the mountain, to be born again, to be part of your family, if it's possible through yoga or meditation, or if it's possible through visiting Mecca, or if it's possible through making a lot of money or going to therapy and all that, not that those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves, but what he's saying is if every road leads to the top, then I don't have to do this, do I? But ultimately, Jesus did die on the cross because there's no other way. There is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved, only by the name of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm quite sure you have a self-salvation plan of your own. And the only question is this, what happens when your self-salvation plan doesn't work? Now I say, listen, I've taken a lot of self-salvation plans in my day. I get it. And there's that part of us that's like, why does it have to be Jesus? Because in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if you could do it another way, let's do it that way. But Jesus went to the cross. 
died in our place and rose again. And if you're here today and you're skeptical, Jesus is inviting you to trust in the salvation that only comes in his name. Jesus is saying, God, if there's any other way, let's do it. But not what I want, Lord, but what you want. And then he leaves this prayer and he goes and he finds the disciples and they're sleeping. You just imagine, I mean, like, he's sweating drops of blood. He's in deep distress. He goes a little bit away. He comes, and those guys, they're just racked out, man. You know what I mean? They're just sleeping. And you got to figure Peter was a snorer, right? Like, his personality's got snoring written all over it. There's no inflection in what it's saying, but you almost get the sense that it's just like another agony for Jesus. What, like, you guys couldn't wait with me? This is how he counsels them. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I want you to circle that in your neighbor's Bible, that verse right there. Now, here's why I want you to do that. Because Jesus gives us tools to how to live vulnerably in the world. And it's right there. Watch and pray. That idea of watch means to keep guard. Like we need to keep our heads up. We need to be aware of where we are, the states of our souls, what's going on around us. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. That word keep literally means to guard your heart. Watch your heart. Why? Because out of your heart springs all of the issues of life. Now, I like to tell people, because people are like, whoa, is that really true? It doesn't mean that your heart can control everything. It doesn't mean that we have control over everything, but even the things we don't have control over, each one of us has a responsibility on how we see and how we interpret what is happening. So let me give you an example. If someone does something that you really don't like, they did that, but you getting mad at them is not the default way to respond. You chose to respond that way. You didn't have to respond that way. You wanted to. They didn't make you do it. You chose it. Now, I know people don't like when I talk this way because nobody likes having to own their stuff, but we all have to own our stuff. In Jesus, Jesus invites us to own our lives. And so the reason we have to keep and guard and watch our hearts is because out of our hearts spring all of the issues of life. Because you look at the world and when things go on that are painful, that are hurtful, You actually choose how you're going to feel about it and how you're going to integrate those things into your life. Now, this is important because in the day and age in which we live, we have to, as a culture, start to look at this. Now, if you talk to philosophers, they would say that the day and age in which we live, they call it postmodern which is really because there was this thing called modernity or, and modernism. It started with the Renaissance and then the scientific revolution, the industrial revolution, the modern world. But then things started to change in like kind of the 20s, 30s, and 40s and 50s. And philosophers were already talking about this idea of postmodernism or postmodernity. They didn't have a good name for it, so they just called it what comes after modernism. Now we're probably in post-postmodernism. We'll say that for the philosophers. But really what goes on in postmodernity, you know about this because you're living it, but they started writing about this in the early 20th century, is that everything in postmodernity is about power. Everything's a power dynamic issue. So everything you're seeing in the news today, it's all about who's got power and how do they use that power to hurt people. This is post-modernity in full bloom in our culture. So everyone who has power, power is seen as implicitly bad. 
But really what it is is the people who feel like they're not in power want power so they can do the same thing to the powerful people, which is a f- totally a weird thing. No, side note. I'll tell you I didn't say that. <laughs> but here's the deal. If everything is about power dynamics, then one philosopher put it this way, that the moral high ground of postmodernism is victimhood. <laughs> Let me explain that. So the moral high ground, the person who has, I have the better vantage point, in a way of looking at the world where everything is about power, then the only way, if you don't have power, to be on a moral high ground is to claim victim status. Now, here's the deal. Everybody today feels like a victim. For everything. For everything. You're a victim if you didn't get an A on the paper that your parents wrote for you. You're a victim if your parents actually cared enough about you to make you eat your vegetables and not start drinking when you wake up in the morning. Because it's oppressive. Why wouldn't they let me do what I want to do? Right? You're oppressed if you have a job and your boss gives you a performance review. I mean... You're oppressed if you didn't get a participation trophy when you were going to Little League. And now listen, there are legitimate situations of oppression. But now we're at a point where everyone is a victim. Everyone is a victim. Right? And our culture is constantly pumping this. Now, here's the deal. You can choose to live your life as a victim. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus told Peter, James, and John to watch and pray. Why? Because the Bible says that you're not a victim. The Bible says that you're more than a conqueror through him who loved you. So our culture may embrace I am a victim because it gives me some moral high ground to look down on what other people are doing. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the victim mentality has nothing to do with the gospel of the kingdom. Not because you weren't legitimately oppressed or or, or there was trauma, not pertaining that. But really what you realize is that you believe in a God of redemption and you can see that was horrible. That shouldn't have gone that way. That was totally wrong. But God, because if you stay in a victim place, which so many of us are doing, if you stay with that victim mentality, really what you're doing is you're giving the power to how you feel that you were a victim and you're living in that for the rest of your life. You are empowering Whatever oppression you believe you experience, you are empowering that and letting that be the God of your life. And I'm here to tell you, if you watch your heart and you pray, God wants to help each one of us to incorporate the lousy, horrible things that happen in our lives, to incorporate it in a way that is not life-taking or defeating, but is life-giving. And I believe that there's some of us here today, you need to hear that. This is a prophetic call from God to say, you should not be living your life as a victim any longer. Yes, what happened was wrong. But staying there, it gives way too much power to that and not any power to the God who's like, you're growing through this. What I have learned is that the people, the men and women of God, who their faith blows my mind and enlarges my soul are always people who've gone through horrible things. But as they've walked through horrible things, they've made space in their heart for God to redeem those things. Not that they pretend it didn't happen. Not that it wasn't wounding and painful. But the fact that they allowed God to incorporate into their lives in such a way that now they live fuller with the abundant life transformed because of what they've experienced. I remember when my mother passed away. 
I remember I had a day, it was like after all the services and the hoopla and everything was over, I remember I went back to my apartment, I was in college, I was in my, um, it was my last year of college, and I remember I got into my bed, I'm like, if this is what life is, I don't want to be any, I don't want any part of it. I was just like, my mom gone, just lousy, I don't feel like, and I got in my bed, fully clothed, you know, pulled the covers over my head, and I just laid there like, this is it, this is my life. And it was so funny, because I didn't know the Lord at the time, so forgive my uh, juvenileness. But after about like 35 or 40 minutes, I heard my mom in my head being like, what are you doing? Get out of bed. Because I was my mom. My mom was a tough cookie, all Italian mama. You know what I mean? Like, no nonsense. And I, I just imagine if my mom was alive, she'd be like, get out of that bed. What is wrong with you? Like, there's a life to live. Like, go. And, I remember, but, and I'm, I'm grateful for that witness in my heart. But I realized that I could have very easily defined my entire life by the loss of my mom. I could have fallen deeper into a drug and alcohol hole. I could have just ruined everything and been like, because my mom died. I'm a-. And listen, some of you are doing that right now. Something was bad. It was painful. But it's not supposed to ruin your life or be the one thing in your life that everything in life revolves around. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus becomes that one thing. And Jesus took the cross, the cross, and then the resurrection through the cross. That now transforms our lives. So if you used to be an addict, you used to be that. That is not who you are. Jesus and the finished word, that's who you are. If you had lousy parents, I am so sorry. But you have a new father in heaven. And you learn, and you're like, I don't ever want to treat people the way I got treated. Listen, if people have literally oppressed you because of your nationality, your gender, listen, it was totally wrong, but Jesus has set you free. And walk in the liberty of the child of God. See, God wants to move us from victimhood to a life of victory because that's exactly what Jesus did. But we have to watch and pray. We have to watch what's in our heart. But then we pray. Why is prayer so important? Because we're linking up hands with God to get his will done in our hearts and on earth as is in heaven. I always tell people, prayer is not getting your will done in heaven. That ain't happening, people. Prayer is understanding the will of God and then letting it be walked out in your life. Really, prayer is about letting the fragrance of heaven be the fragrance of your heart. That your heart is an outpost of heaven here on earth. Watch and pray. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And listen, that's the vulnerable paradox of what it means to be human right there. The spirit is willing, like you want to, but the flesh is weak. Can I get an amen? Isn't it so true? Listen, some of you right now, you're trying not to eat all the Christmas cookies. I know what's going on. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, you know? Just sneaking those cookies. So we're going to laugh. At my house, there's these three huge gingerbread houses. So all the girls made gingerbread houses. And last year, the gingerbread houses would lose candy slowly. <laughs> it wasn't only me. But this year, I, 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 got, I, got, I got the talking to. Listen, you're not allowed to graze off of the gingerbread houses. And I, wanting to be a man of integrity, I have sought to honor said requests. But every morning, you come downstairs, and there's cookies and candy and gingerbread. Oh, my. And I'm like, this would be so good in my coffee right now. But I've been resisting, and I always think, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is today the day we're crushing those gingerbread houses? Glory! 
I gotta end this sermon quick. I got me a date with some candy that's stale from being on the gingerbread house for three weeks. <laughs> but isn't it true though? I mean, the Apostle Paul in the end of Romans 7 is like, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do do. And, and scholars argue when he said it and why he said it, because that's what scholars do. It makes for good academia. But in the end of the day, we're all experiencing it, aren't we? Like how many of you this year, like I'm going to read the Bible through in a year and then you got drowned out by Leviticus, right? <laughs> but don't worry, we're going to start again. We're going to start again in a couple weeks. We'll, we'll, you'll make it through because the spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. But the only way to grapple and to be victorious when the spirit is willing and the flesh and weak is to guard your heart, watch, and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. Now, look at what happens. And this blows my mind. Look what it says in verse 42. It says, again, a second time he went away and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again. He prayed a third time saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. Verse 45, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. So Jesus prayed, found him sleeping, woke him up, went, second time, prayed again. Comes back, dudes are snoozing again. Went a third time, prayed again. But what do we learn here? That ultimately Jesus surrendered to God's will. Now, to me, this is maybe the key to a victoriously lived vulnerable life on the side of eternity is us learning, like Jesus, how to surrender to God's will. Remember I told you, like, if you were writing a book to try and make people believe in somebody who conquered sin and death, you wouldn't put things like he's distressed, he's sorrowful, he's in agony. And now we have Jesus praying three times. So we have Jesus praying. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is praying his way into God's will into saying yes to what God is doing. And it's such an important thing for you. People all the time, they get caught up in the mechanics of prayer. Like, I just want to encourage you guys, don't over-spiritualize prayer. The key to praying is you pray until your soul says yes to whatever God's will is. And for Jesus, he prayed two sentences almost identically three times. And then he leaves. He's like, okay, it's time. The time is at hand. My betrayer's here. Let's roll. So sometimes I think we over-spiritualize prayer where we think, I need to do 40 days of prayer to get this answer when God's like, yeah, actually, I'm just going to, you're going to pray two forty words and I'm going to tell you what I want. Jesus is Jesus' life was a swirl of emotions at this time. The joy of sharing Passover with his closest friends, the putting into motion of Judas' betrayal, the looming beating and crucifixion. It's no wonder that Jesus ended up sweating blood. This is the Jesus that Pastor Daniel showed you today, reminding you that Jesus knows and understands the hassles that you're going through, and he can help you survive them. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? 
Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will start a new teaching, The Most Vulnerable Birth. You'll hear about the birth of Jesus, which was by all accounts a normal birth. But of course, it's about who was being born more than the circumstances of the birth that Pastor Daniel will be teaching about. The creator of the universe, choosing to trap himself in a human body. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Vulnerable God. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.